When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Take two. Hey. Essentials, USA.com. Yeah, look, it's frozen outside, okay? It's cold. And uh, no better time to go to Need Essentials and get yourself all set up for the winter season. Uh, hood, booties, full suits, jackets, snow gear, everything you need. Leashes, you're going to need that because you don't want to swim in the cold water. Don't be frozen. Need Essentials, USA. Nailed it. I got all of that stuff from them two weeks ago. I got a, threw in a leash. Leash is like 20 bucks. It's a no brainer. You know, um, I got the hood, the balaclava hood. I got boots. I got everything. So what is I did exactly what wearing? you asked for. That thing you're wearing right there looks so friggin' like Hemingway. Old like, man. I turned 40. Okay. <laughs> this is how we dress now. You look great by the way, but I'm just saying like, I'm envious <laughs> of that thing. That thing looks warm and it looks old man. It is both things. And now that I'm a father, this is how I dress. Okay. This is nice. You know what you're missing? A few cookie crumbs on that dark navy blue or black color that you got. There's some, some cookie crumbs that fall down from the face, you know, like shortbread cookies. You should have seen me last night. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, obviously, need essentials, USA.com for all the wetsuit stuff that you talked about. But also, if you're going to be skiing, snowboarding, they have outerwear as well. Um, Polar Tech plant pants, last time I checked, were significantly reduced. And uh, and then they have a three different jackets that you can stack and layer. So like one that's kind of for everyday wearing, and then a big puffer with a hood, and then a shell on top of that that is kind of waterproof for rain and everything else, snow, whatever. So you could stack all three if you're going to be skiing somewhere frigid, or just do one, two, uh, or any combination thereof, if you're going to be anywhere else. So ridiculous options at neatessentialsusa.com. And then of course, NVS fins. Naked Vikings fins. Are you kidding me? Uh, nope. David, most people know that you and I ride their fins because uh, they, they're made out of that. What? Tell me, fill me in, fill in the audience on that special material that they're made out of. So G10 is a, uh, the carbon fiber laminate that they make, uh, they call it Apex, their Apex series of fins, but they're all made out of that same material. And what it is, is um, it's super strong, but also it's thin. So you can, it allows them to foil the fins really thinly and neatly without losing, uh, without compromising the integrity of the fin itself. So like the fin won't break essentially. So it's super strong, but thin because in the past, if you wanted a strong fin, you'd have to layer up a lot of laminations and then it limited how much you could foil the fin. This kind of allows you to do both things. Yeah. Naked Vikings, NVS fins, go check them out on Instagram or online and uh, do the smart thing and order yourself a set. Yeah. Surfnvs.com. 
see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, friggin' guy. You know what? It is spit. It is Surf Talk with David Lee Scales and Scott Bass. And wow, it's Wednesday, November the 9th in the year 2022. Crazy, crazy dude. Totally crazy. And there's so much surf news this week. Um, you know, we talked about Stab High last week. That A new episode of that dropped, whether or not that's news. Um, Sakurama event just wrapped up so there's some qualification updates there there's been major sponsor shifts on the nose of surfers we can discuss nathan florence's wave in ireland was a massive thing netflix tries to buy the wsl all sorts of stuff going on well let's start with nathan florence because uh, that sort of broke the internet that that uh, foam ball ride he had on that incredible left uh, for most of the surf world, um, this is old news, but there was a massive first season XXL type swell to hit Europe, including up there in Scotland and Ireland and all the way down into Morocco and Central Africa, the whole uh, Western coast there of um, Europe and, and down into Africa. North Atlantic. Yes, thank you. The North Atlantic was firing. So, um, and you bring up Nathan Florence and um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you saw there in Ireland. I had no idea what to expect. I was not tracking that swell. All I know is I opened my phone one day and it was Surfline. The way that this, I'm glad they didn't edit the clip. Actually, maybe they edited it this way, but the way that the clip is shot is it's in the water at Mulligmore, which is the huge slabbing left barrel in Ireland. And it's a water angle they actually have the land angle too, but the shot that I first saw was the water angle shot from either a boat or a PWC. And the boat is almost below sea level at the time. They're kind of on an ebb or flow of the tide. And so there's water, a little um, boil of water in front of the boat or and the camera. So you can't even see the wave approaching. You just see like a big six C kind of bobbing above the boat. And then that kind of settles down and you see this huge wave lurching on the reef and you're like, oh my gosh. So that first foreground kind of thing is real interesting. And then behind it, you see the wave and it gives you an idea for the scope of that wave, you know, and what it, what it kind of looks like from sea level essentially. And so that wave is hitting the reef, just slabbing and you see Nathan Florence paddling into it. And it really looks like a doesn't look like a barreling wave it looks like a giant paddle in wave uh like the takeoff would be reverse waimea or something and so he's just stroking in and you see him get and the wave lurches and he just narrowly makes the drop and then somehow sets a line off the bottom and then you see that next section hitting the reef and as he he sets the line off the bottom and adjusts up into the middle of the wave it's heaving but not only heaving, it's kind of spitting from the first section. So there's a big foam ball gurgling that he then positions up into. And uh, it goes right underneath him, essentially. And he kind of rides the foam ball in the tube 
and then just comes out with it perfectly. It's an incredible wave in and of itself. And it's flawlessly written by Nathan Florence. Yeah, um, that's a great description of what we saw. And um, my first takeaway is this is one of those waves and one of those swells we're talking, you know, probably 17, 18 seconds. It's a deep water swell. Uh, the bathymetry of that spot is such that these guys are all riding big guns, big, large boards, which um, obviously makes it difficult for the sensitivity that's required once you're inside of this thing um, to sort of like get the board online and kind of get the board giddy up, you know, get the board totally. up and going with speed. A lot of times, and then Nathan's wave, you know, you get the sense that he had to have that much board to paddle into it. We've got strong offshores. And like I said, a 17 seconds, well, tons of energy. And he drops in and you get the sense that he's like, okay, let me, hopefully I can get my feet and everything set up perfectly for this inside rail bottom turn. Once you do the bottom turn, there's this kind of moment of I'm at a dead standstill. I'm not, I don't have speed moving forward. The thing collapses over him and it's kind of like a bucking Bronco. You're just kind of along for the ride. There, there didn't seem to be a lot of, at least initially in the ride, sort of his own speed. And, right. or his his ability to kind of control what was happening he just kind of held on for dear life and due to his incredible talent uh was able to just make this incredible wave and quads and quad fins probably <laughs> no quads on his legs <laughs> his quad quadricep muscles is that what they're no, called no, quadriceps yeah um yeah i mean the guy's super fit and i think that all played a factor too but yeah everything you're saying and it makes me wonder he rides Pizels generally, yeah. right? And so is yeah. that the Padillac? Is that Probably, Pizels? Yeah. 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 I mean, that. so that deserves a shout out right there because between John John Florence's wave, I think two years ago, the Outer Reef, uh, which Himalayas, probably should know. remain. Yeah, I oh, might sorry. have been Phantoms. <laughs> oh, Phantoms, yeah, yeah, Phantoms. Oh, well, one yeah. of those. Should <laughs> remain nameless, but too late. It. Come on. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, not like it's a secret. No, it's not. But I mean, remember those waves that John John was getting out yeah, there yeah, and the yeah. way that he was riding them? I mean, they were much more flawless than the wave that Nathan just rode, but they were equally as big. And um, yeah, those boards are obviously big boards are very difficult to maneuver, but those guys do it. Uh, it's subtle, but they do it really deftly. Like there's no question that the board is uh, fine tuned for them to be able to make those little micro adjustments. And those guys are in full control at all times. Um, yeah. And that wave is one of those waves where you just, you know, they're just trying to figure out how they can get the smallest possible board out there with that, yeah. with still being able to catch the wave um, because there's, there's just so much going on. I mean, first of all, you got a big thick wetsuit, <clears throat> you know, cold water. And as I mentioned, these deep water swells and uh, it's just, and the offshore winds, it's just, one of those things that you sense that the guys are getting smaller. They're, you know, they're going as, you know, they're, they're right there on that thin line of, of, you know, <clears throat> acceptability as far as paddle ability and being able to catch it and everything. It was, um, I watched that wave a dozen times, I'd say in the course of 24 hours, cause it kept popping up on different feeds. And each time I'd watch it three times or so. Um, the last time I can remember doing that was Peter Mel's wave at Mavericks and this really rivals that. We've talked about Pete Wells' Mel's wave being kind of the wave of not just the year, but maybe of the decade, maybe of the century, maybe of all time. This kind of rivals that for me. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to push back on that a little bit. I know where you're coming from, but um, Mavericks is just, uh, 
it's a whole nother beast. I mean, I'm not trying to take anything away from the the, the deadly power in Ireland at um, Mulligmore, but I it, I think it's just a step down in is it in everything? Yeah, I at that size, I don't know. I mean, That's I'm a not tough... saying it's not gnarly. I'm just saying what Peter Mel did was like behind the boil, like next, you know. It was next. We should do an Instagram poll. Yeah, we should. By the way, you're doing such a great job marketing this show and all the other shows that you do on Instagram. I noticed you kind of upped your game and it looks really good. I hired somebody. Oh, did you? (laughs) Did you really? Because they're doing a good job. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell it shows. Absolutely. Kudos to them. But getting back to the Oh, go ahead. I honestly did not. I mean, I logged on, but I did not use Instagram for a good eight months, I'd say, maybe even a year. Um, Cause it's kind of like, if you're, if you're not going to do it well, don't really do it. You know what I mean? I just, and I wasn't doing it well for a long time. So yeah, it's been one, money well spent. So thank you for yeah. noticing. <clears throat> yeah. Your, your person's doing a good job. Um, good. But back to Nathan Florence. So he's secretly, I don't know. I don't know. I think you feel the same way, but. Um, Nathan Florence has overtaken John John Ooh. as my favorite Florence Ooh. to watch surf. And um, and I'm kind of, I've been, I went down the rabbit hole of Nathan Florence's YouTube channel. Oh, wow. And it's great. They're, they're really, both of them are just so great, right? I mean, they're both such, it kind of blows my mind, like how, how mature they are, I guess, or, or how, like they're just good people, you know? Yeah. And the reason I say it blows my mind is that I know it wasn't sort of your typical um, upbringing, you know, three kids with a mom on the North shore, a lot of shit could go wrong. And it seemed like a lot of shit went right, you know, totally. for the Florence family. And um, so kudos to, to the mother and. Um, and the community but, there. Yeah. I think that's part of it, but I don't know. Did you see the paddle out session? at this hectic Scottish slab in uh, on Nathan Florence's YouTube channel. No. It's rad, you should check it out. He, it's basically Nathan Florence and this local surfer and they're paddling out at this, one of these rocky, like high tide cliff kind of swampy reef slabs where the water's hitting the, the uh, cliff and backing out really aggressively and it's like, they're stumbling down this cliff face and you know, they're in knee deep water and they're trying to figure out where's the little keyhole to paddle out. And the local kids like, this is what you do, man. You do it right here. And the local kid jumps into this keyhole and there's just tons of water kind of surging back up against the cliff face. And he looks like he's in deep shit and he starts paddling through the keyhole. And there's like three feet of this sort of, suffocating brownish disgusting foam you know that thick foam sheet that sort of engulfs him it's it's not like he's underwater but he's also not in the clear breathing fresh air he's like in that right space whale where, peak and he kind of comes up and it, you know and he, you can tell he's gasping and this is at the very beginning of the keyhole patlet like he's not even outside of where the like real shit's hitting you know and he scrambles out and Nathan's there. He's going, I guess it's my turn. You know, Nathan jumps in. Of course, the whole time, the cool, one of the cool things about, about Nathan's YouTube channel is his girlfriend and, or I guess it's his wife. Is yeah. the, they're doing most of the filming. And 
So there's a lot of, um, you know, there's just a lot of sincerity, I guess you could say in, I'm going to use the word cinematography. It's not really cinematography, but just the way that it's framed and formatted, the vibe that you get is just, it's a very sincere thing. And so she's filming and she's going, oh shit, here goes Nathan, you know, Nathan jumps in. They eventually get out and they surf this mean, like maybe four to five foot, six foot slabby right that just, you know, tubes, spits and ends, you know, and it ki- and it kicks out into this like backwashy, cliffy kind of, you know, you're it's all like right there. Yeah. And, um, and Nathan absolutely tears it to shred, you know, like just does these behind the peak late drops up high into the thing and then just stands there and gets the GoPro clip and then just it's over, you know, like the wave goes into deep water and it just, but uh, it was just um, because of the paddle out, because of the whole situation, the, the gloomy, dark, straight offshore, you know, it's just a raw type of situation. It's very raw. And so it kind of, um, you know, it's rare that on a YouTube channel, you're kind of on the, the seat of your, your chair going, Oh fuck this. And I guess I, I just related, I think we've all been in those situations where it's high tide and you're going down the cliff and the, the water's splashing up and you're like, I guess it's time to jump and hope, you know? And, but this was that times, you know, 10, you know, like you could have seen yeah. something really horrible happening here. But um, I would suggest everyone go check out Nathan's YouTube channel. It's pretty cool. And um, and the, the next one is kind of the edited version of that where you get all the POV um, GoPro clips of him actually getting those barrels. It's pretty cool. It's an interesting time we're living in where, yeah, that the quality of what he's putting out on a weekly basis is as good as so many surf films that were coming out when I was a kid and paying 30 Absolutely. bucks for. Absolutely. It's it's really wild and better than, I mean, to be honest, in a lot of ways. Um, but there's almost a glut of content. You know what I mean? Like you almost... Well, the I good don't even stuff click really on it because I know there's out. something coming next week almost. Uh, you're right. You're right. And look at, and, and I mean, sort of the cookie cutter was like, okay, let's just have fun and be kind of characters like Jamie O'Brien and Mason and we surf great. And let's just, you know, let's yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ben Gravy, which is all good and cool too. But the thing that's cool about Nathan's is, is there's a, like a, there's, there's a lot of humility, I guess you could say like, or there's a lot of self-deprecation. Like there's a, there's a scene where, Nathan accidentally puts gasoline into a diesel engine. Oof, I've done that. Yeah. And they, you know, and so they kind of go through the whole thing where there's like a tow truck has to come and he's got mud on his face. He looks like an idiot traveling, you know, coop, you know, like he made a mistake, a tourist. And his wife's there filming it going, oh, well, it looks like we screwed up, you know. But so there's, you know, you get that, which helps kind of like set the tone that I was talking about of this like real sincere travelogue. Um, the other thing I was thinking of was you said Nathan was there with a local kid who was showing him where to paddle out. I always think about the locals in this scenario that, um, I grew up surfing very fair weathered, you know, like easy beach breaks, mainly I'll try to avoid it when it's too cold. And, uh, I think about locals who are in that scenario where it's so much more rugged and cold and how much harder they have to work for it. And then they get, they make the paddle out and they have to learn how to surf on that wave. That's like expert level. Like it's no joke. You know, those guys deserve such kudos for figuring it out. And, you know, just to get in, they couldn't get in through the same keyhole. It was way too gnarly. They had to paddle down, you know, probably a half a mile into some bay. 
you yeah. know, it was it was next so wild. next level pretty good stuff it was it was full-on like legit you know heaviness yeah well um in the session that he caught that wave at Mulligmore. Speaking of locals, the crew out there, Taz Knight, who is from Devon, again, I mean, he learned how to surf in Devon in England, and now he lives in Ireland, and he's kind of focused on this spot. But Taz Knight, uh, Tom Lowe, of course, we know, Connor McGuire, Tom Butler, Russell Bierke was out there, and then Seamus McGoldrick is, I guess, one of the locals. I love a good Seamus. It's a great name. Um, so they all deserve shout out too for being there for that first massive swell of the season, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty cool. And, you know, the neat thing about traveling to Scotland or Ireland for those North Atlantic swells is you literally just can jump down the coast and, you know, your next stop will be, you know, wherever, Port Portugal or France. And then your next stop will probably be Morocco. And if you're crazy enough and lucky enough to get into Central Central Africa, now you're surfing these um, next level sand bottom warm points that are, are very difficult to get to. But um, the people in the region that they're definitely tapping into those spots these days. And yeah, but still uncrowded for sure. Yeah, it's those spots that you've seen. Like um, I don't know if it was Jordy. I think Mick Fanning for sure. They they did some trips down there with Rip Curl. Um, but those right points down there in Central Africa is sort of like the next, you know, you know, I'm, I'm like I say, I'm not next. Like people already know that they exist and people are tapping into it, but it's just not easy to get to. It's not like you can fly there and be whisked into a yoga class and then a three course meal and then perfect waves. You know what I mean? Totally. And not a ton of information publicized about where and when to do it. So yeah, you gotta, you, you gotta, gotta go you figure gotta it know. out. Yeah. Cool. Um, did you watch Stab High episode two? I did. I I'm did. about halfway through. Yeah. Um, I want to make a correction. A number of people reached out after last week's show. Uh, we were talking about the 13-year-old Shredder, and yes. we were referring, I think I made the mistake of leading you down the wrong path by saying that his name was Eli, <laughs> and it was actually Huey Vaughn. Right. Uh, Eli, Eli is in the event as well. Eli is a South African, but he's like 20 or 22. Yeah. Huey Vaughn is the 13 year old Australian that we were speaking of. Yeah. Good. Thank you for correcting that. Yeah. No sweat. Uh, so this episode starts off with the girls. Um, and the whole kind of scoring premise of this episode is they force the competitors to do a straight air. Yeah. So it's kind of creates a criteria yeah. very specific criteria for the judging yeah. what are your thoughts on the episode and that um i like the episode i watched it um i try to put myself in their shoes when they create this thing and i sense that they're like look let's start off with straight air so that we because what we don't want is a bunch of people just doing crazy ass shit all at the beginning and we're like we're confused almost it was almost like they're like look show us you can do a great straight air and then you'll move on to the next round and then we can get into your upside down craziness. You know, um, I think that's where they were coming from. I, I'm not sure it worked or not. I, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all going to just want to see Matt Miola going crazy anyway. And the fact that he doesn't want to do straight airs, which by the way, spoiler alert, he's like, I'm not doing straight airs. I don't, I don't want to be put, into some sort of category or told I have to surf a certain way. 
And so Matt Miola just goes out there and just busts crazy ass shit. Never does a straight air. <laughs> I'll I'll read to you from his Instagram if you'd like. Yeah, please. Because he left a fiery screed. Um, yeah, fiery screed. <laughs> That's the name of my new band. Fiery uh, screed. He says this is what a <laughs> this is what a zero looks like at stab high, and it's Ooh. the video clip of him doing a wily twirly bird rotation. Yeah, and he says. It was an interesting format this year. We were put in heats and told we would only get scored on the type of air that they wanted us to do in that heat. In this case, it was a straight air. I chose not to listen and just do what I thought the wave was good for. I think straight airs look sick and work well for the proper section, but I don't believe that doing a straight air is taking full advantage of a crazy section. Not once has a straight air ever left me in disbelief that I'm still on my feet and riding the wave. Extra spins and upside down rotations, however, do give me that feeling. I believe to truly progress, we should feel the freedom to go as big as possible and express our own styles on every wave we catch. Surfing is is an art form, not a sport. That being said, I still want to thank Stab for being the only outlet that is consistently putting out cool events and trying to their best to create good content. Also, huge thank you for always including me, even when I bitch about the format and, and don't always play by the rules. Yeah, that kind of summed up um, the second episode in a nutshell, I think. He did a great job. Um, I feel uh, the same way. Thank you, Stab. Maybe next time we don't do it this way. Um, again, I'm not sure the, the reasoning behind this, but I sense, as I mentioned earlier, that they just kind of wanted to progress for, you know, up this mountain of let's get to the craziest stuff at the end. Well, okay, so... The more we talk about competitive surfing, and by the way, we've been talking about it for about a decade uh, with great seriousness. Um, The more we talk about it, the less it makes sense to me. It is, it's a, it's a square peg in a round hole. Wait a minute. Time out. Hold on. Time out. Please. You're talking to the guy who said surfing is not a sport. I've been telling you surfing wasn't a sport since like before you and I knew each other. I know. Surfing is just I'm, simply not a sport. Clearly. And the and doesn't mean and we make, don't enjoy competition. Well, and I understand the impulse to compare. Right. You know, if you if we're just at the beach. But and what is the impulse? I ask you sincerely. What so is the, the impulse? Uh the why? I, why? I don't I don't know. And we can try to excavate yes, it, do. but all I know is okay, what? Ego. Yeah. Okay. But even if I'm not comparing myself, that I'm better than you. Sure. But even if I'm not comparing myself, if I just show up at the beach and a set rolls in, there's one person on set on the first wave and there's a second person on the second wave. I automatically compare them. I go, Whoa, that first guy ripped. You know what? That other person ripped it maybe harder, maybe differently. It's, but I'm constantly comparing. So it's a, I think it's a human, it's just an innate human impulse. Yeah, um, but the other side of that equation is that if you showed up on the beach and there was a guy riding a wave and there was a killer wave a half a mile down, you wouldn't even hang out there. You'd go down by yourself. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, as we Compare. continue to kind of analyze competitive surfing and try to uh, help refine how to create a criteria that will allow you to judge a subjective thing. I realize it really is 
a futile task. It's totally impossible to do. And the reason is, is because surfer one and two, in my example, can surf it both like to their fullest expression incredibly well and be entirely different. And so I think Stab's understanding was we've created this event, but you know what? It is very impossible. It's apples and oranges. If uh, Ian Crane does his backside, whatever rotation grab that he won the last event with, and then Huey Vaughn comes out and does a huge straight air. How do you really compare those two things? There's they're apples and oranges. So now they're trying to create these little criterias. And I think the one easier way or the smarter way to have done it in this scenario would be at the end of the week, we'll give the bet the best straight air a score and a and a reward and the best rotation a reward. So that would have made more sense than forcing them to do it on a day when maybe rotations made more sense than straight airs. Um, but even still, it becomes as soon as you put a criteria on, it limits the potential of what the person can do. And it actually, I think, impedes progress. Because as Matt said, we should be given the freedom to express ourselves however we want. Because to be perfectly honest, that will net the best score. That's the surfing we all want to see is radical expression that is outside the boundaries of what we've seen before. And if they're creating a criteria, the criteria is based on things we've seen before. So it almost puts boundaries around the freedom. Totally agree. And it brings me back to something that you and I've discussed before, which is really when we go to the beach and we see two guys in the water um, I think almost innately what we look for is the guy who caught the biggest wave, who caught the biggest wave and really oh. what happens on the wave kind of, kind of is second fiddle to, yeah. But at the end of the day, that guy caught huge waves yeah. and that's the man versus nature thing that you always bring up, which is lost in this. Hey, let's have it at the surf ranch. Fully completely. Well, um, Albie's, or I'm sorry, Matt Miola's good friend, Albie Layer chimed in on that Instagram and he said, <laughs> and he, as he always does. And he said, um, my theory is that saying straight airs are cool, just helps average surfers feel like they are closer to the top of surfing in, uh, in my, in like two more surgeries, I'm going to start trying to convince people that they are cool so that I still feel rad. Don't change Matt. Uh, so this highlights something that I've been wondering because I don't do airs, but I do hear all of these air experts constantly talking about how the straight air is somehow harder to do than a rotation. And I drank the Kool-Aid. I don't do airs. They do airs. They said it. I guess it must be true. Now that I hear Matt and Albie kind of saying what in the back of my mind makes a lot more sense, I'm on their side. Straight airs, sure, they serve a purpose. It's a functional air. It'll help you get to the next section or something like that. But it doesn't, to me, look harder than what Matt Miola did on that wave, right? Yeah, you know, I don't know either. I, I can't speak to this from a position of expertise. But what I can tell you is that my gut feeling is that straight airs are kind of hard to do because you, when you launch, you are naturally moving into a spin. And when you launch for a straight air, you kind of have to stop that spin, which is why a lot of them grab and kind of hold it. Like when Matt yeah. and those guys in Albi, when they do their, their roadie 
uh, errors, they're just going with a massive whip. And it's kind of, I, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's natural for them to continue to just rotate. Whereas I think with the straight air, it's hard to get all that air and hold it without continuing the rotation. Yeah, I see that that is what they're talking about. So at a certain level of uh, projection, the inclination is for the board in your body to turn. And so let's say that becomes a 180, you know, like a air reverse. Well, sure. Keeping it straight instead of going into an air reverse, that is harder. But when you're rotating beyond the air reverse and doing what Matt Miola is doing, including inversion, that's just yeah. the hardest thing possible. How do you keep yeah. your board attached and know yeah. where your landing is when you're fully inverted and doing a full rotation? So yeah. that, and and so now you have to compare that against a massive straight well, air where you're I, controlling it the whole straight time. And I would argue in every scenario, Matt's is harder. No doubt that the level of difficulty is probably, uh, it, it is in fact uh, much higher for what Matt and Albie are doing. Um, but what I would suggest to you is that Doing a straight air is actually a move of function where you're like, okay, I want to land this thing because I got to continue riding the wave. Rarely are, are Matt and Albie going into these massive rotation aerials and are worried about what's at the end of the ride. They're yeah. just trying to stick it and, and they often do and it's incredible and it's much more difficult, I agree. But as far as like, like say for instance, taking off uh, at Margaret River on the right and initially going into the first turn aerial, you're going to want to also then connect to the next two turns and the cutback and the, you know what I mean? It's just totally. not, so it's app, it is apples and oranges. Like if you're like, yeah, let's have a condescension and just see how many friggin' radical rotations we can get. And we'll go practice on a trampoline for six months and let's go do this. Uh, and not taking into account yeah, but is it functional at Jay Bay to do that? And the answer is no, but it is kind of functional to do a massive straight air as we've seen um, Felipe do. Totally. Um, another interesting thing was they opened the episode with the girls, the ladybirds as they call them. Yeah. And the waves are a lot smaller. The girls yeah. are a lot younger, by the way. Yeah. Um, all of the female competitors seem to be 14, 16. 16. Yeah. yeah, 16 and under, I'd say. I don't think there's an 18-year-old yeah. in the crop, whereas a lot of the men competitors are over 18. Um, a lot of them are over 30. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, so anyways, the waves are smaller and they're clearly not as adept at doing airs. Yeah. But what I really liked about it was how relatable it is to see people trying something and progressing at it and then figuring it out ultimately, you know? Yeah. Um, and it, it reminded me almost of what you were talking about with Nathan Florence's vlog, where there's showing the outtakes somehow allows you to appreciate the A clips more. Yeah, you're right. There's some contrast that's naturally created and helps kind of give us a bitter, a bigger picture of what, what reality is here. Yeah, I liked it. I liked yeah. it a lot. Yeah. Gave you a better appreciation for the ones that are stomped, you know? Yeah, for sure. Realwatersports.com, Scott. Um, we're talking in today's show about that Nathan Florence wave. You know, real stocks, the Pizel Padillac. You can get one if you want to go challenge Nathan Florence on those waves. 
Well, I've seen those Pizel padlocks in person and uh, they're pretty cool boards, right? I mean, any of those big wave guns, uh, you, you get pretty excited about them. Not that I'm in that level anymore, but, or ever was, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, look, real water sports, this is your one-stop online store for hard goods, surfboards, fins, gear, wetsuits, um, board shorts, wax, um, surf racks. Mm -hmm. And, oh, by the way, everything else that a good surf shop is going to stock, like, you know, super legit. Um, look, it's Christmas. You Ooh, know, like good Christmas call. is coming up. Good you know how call. easy it is to go on to real water sports, bang out your Christmas shopping in like 35 minutes. And buy yourself a board. And buy yourself a board. Who Thanks, deserves a gift this year do. more than I? Nobody. I've just received um, four brand new boards and I'm going to go into real water sports and just be like, Ooh. And this isn't an ad for Pizel, but um, the Brett Barley under the glass series that they're doing, the board yeah. that he's rating in this episode is also a Pizel. It's the shadow. Um, so, you know, if you're not going to actually, you're not going to really ride big waves, you don't need a Padillac, but you might, a shadow might serve you well. So you could check that out too. Real water sports, go check them out. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Another thing, I don't know how much this qualifies as news for you, but it seemed to be splashed everywhere as if it was like a paid, um, PR paid campaign. Yeah. PR campaign. Go ahead. I'm still here. I'll, just I'll wait for you. I'm getting a drink. Oh, okay. Bada bing. Um, okay. So, yeah, paid PR campaign. Anyways, is uh, Griffin Colapinto's switch yeah. from Billabong to Quicksilver. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this? Um, interesting. My initial thoughts was when I saw it, I was like, nobody cares. Like, nobody, right. nobody cares. Right. And then I read it. And I was like, I still don't understand why this is new. Like, like the days, of, felt, the days of caring paid? about that are are over. 
And but then we I did read, used to care, right? Yeah, I, it was kind of a big deal. You know, it used like, to be a big deal. I think so. But, it, you know, it's kind of like if you signed with Red Bull, would we give a shit? No, not really. You know, we'd eventually go, oh, yeah, I saw a Red Bull sticker. I guess he's running for Red Bull, whatever. Well, you know, now, Gabe, from- Gabe is on Monster now. At the Sacramento event, he had a Monster sticker on his board, which we haven't seen before. Nobody talked about that. Now, if you plugged it into how surfers are paid and did a deep dive and, and gave us some insight and some information and some new stuff, then we'd probably be like, okay, cool. He, you know, we know the, the vagaries of his contract. You know, that's interesting that he only likes purple wax and, he only, you know, whatever it is. Uh, but in this format, it was kind of like, oh, and so I read some of the commentary. I'm sure you did too, some of the stab comments from their community. And there was some interesting stuff in there from people that you sense they know what's going on behind the scenes, which was that maybe Billabong's being sold and it's a smart move to get the guys that they think are on the rise because it's all under this Borg Riders brand, right? So listeners that don't know, Quicksilver and Billabong are owned by the same parent company, Borg Riders, it's called. And if Billabong is, Board Riders is selling off Billabong. And again, I'm just guessing, this is some of the stuff I read on the commentary. Then you'd want to take some of the guys that you see athletes on the rise and not lose them for brand equity sake and put them on the brand that still exists under your parent umbrella company. And um, so there's that, that, you know, sort of like a level two conspiracy concept that was interesting to me. Well, so along those lines, the reason why it almost is less interesting is that those two brands are owned by the same company. And is it just a corporate decision that is, Hey, yeah, let's just, we need to move this expense from this ledger over to that ledger. Okay, go ahead and do that. You know what? Write up a press release about how he always loved the sticker on Dane Reynolds board when he was growing up, you know, everybody will tell you, and you know what, pay a couple of outlets to run the story and Let's move on from this. I mean, is that all it is at this point? It could be. There might be, there might have been a little bit of an increase. Like you're going to go to Griff. You're going to go, hey, look, we want to do this. If you're okay with it, we'll, we'll, we're going to bump you up, you know, X, a li- you know, a little bit here. We'll do, you know, what? It, yeah. So that Griff goes, yeah, you know what? Cool. I'm good with it. Let's. I'm a team player. Let's do it. Right. Well, the I was thinking, why do I not care? Because this is a story that 15 years ago. I absolutely would have cared. If Taj Burrow left Billabong and went to Quicksilver, I would have absolutely cared. And then I was thinking, why do I not care? And it's because the brands used to mean something. Each brand had its own identity and its own ethos that was like infused through everything, through the music and the marketing and the shorts and all of it. And so you identified with certain brands. And if somebody made a uh, traded to a different brand, it really felt like they were changing their personality, you know, yeah. and, and they were changing their alliance. It was almost like switching political parties or something. And so this was huge news. And now it was like, it literally, I was like, first of all, I don't care. Why wh- does this affect anything at all? You yeah. know? And the more I thought about it, the more I think we already on this, what we already discussed is kind of what I thought, but, um, it's interesting how much things have changed. Well, that's there, for as, sure. what I think you might be partly experiencing is a homogenization of the brands. Like they're, well, they're literally no, owned by the same company, right? There is no yeah. brand identity. They're in the same stew and they're just swirling them around. And no, oh, by the way, the stew is like, you know, you know, sold at Walmart or what? Like, it's not like, 
the old days where you're like, you know, claw war bricks, got his rip curl machine going, you know, right. or um, who's the guy at Billabong? Um, Graham, uh, no, uh, Gordon Merchant is, you know, there was like four power players that owned the teams and they used to be like baseball teams, you know, and you're like, okay, they're on the LA Dodgers and they're on the San Francisco Giants. And, and you kind of rooted for one of the teams or you knew that the teams were kind of going against each other in some way, you know, trying to be the better brand in the small little surf niche market, you know, and now it's just like this, oh, they're just software companies or not yeah. software, soft goods. They're soft goods companies, you know, they're, they're just right up there with the United Colors of Benetton. Nobody gives a shit. You know what I mean? So if if Griffin would have left board riders and yes. went to Patagonia, that, might that have would have more that would have been in it. That would have been an interesting story. And we would have more. yeah, we would have presumed like, wow, he's taking a pay cut. And you would have to do that because of the company. That company does have an identity. That company does have an ethos. And everybody who works within that brand not only knows it well, but they eat, drink, and sleep it. Yeah, what is, if I was to ask you, like, board riders, um, what is their number one company value proposition? Like, what do they... Profit. No, well, yeah, okay, that's it. But, like, if you were to say Patagonia or even Apple, you know, or even Microsoft, you're like, look, they put out the most insane business software available. Or, you know... And their yeah. whole thing is, you know, functionality or Patagonia is just like, they've got a real, you know, eco-consciousness or what, but board riders are just like, I don't know. I have no idea, you know, but that's kind of, when you think of Billabong and Quicksilver now, that's to their sort of, you know, maybe they blew it by kind of, you know, opening the, the curtain behind the Wizard of Oz, but it just doesn't mean anything. There's no passion there. Yeah. It makes me wonder. Yeah. It makes me wonder if they should have even pushed the story. Like Griff should have just switched quietly in a sense, you know? I wouldn't even have known. I swear to God, I, know. I wouldn't have known. I know, I know. But maybe right, well, we're old. That's the other thing too. Like maybe you and I are just, maybe, I don't know though. I don't think- There's maybe, no question that we're old. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, like, like is our malaise because we're like, we've already lived three decades through it or whatever. And so we're like, oh, you know, but yeah, partially, but I think we're also still actively engaged and recognizing that there is a shift in what's happening and trying to assess what that shift is. Now, interestingly, like, like I'm still a fan of their athlete. Like I'm a fan of Idolo. Like, and so I think of Billabong, you know, when I think of Idolo, I'm like, that's cool. You know, like, yeah. Um, so I'm not so like, it, so it does have, it does have cachet still. To sponsor an bit, athlete in that way. A little bit, you know. Yeah. Like Gabe's yeah. a rip curl guy, and you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he is. But I'm it has cachet, just not what it used to. No. Um speaking of competitive surfing, the Sakurama event just ended. That was a challenger series event, so lots of points. Yeah. Uh Gabriel, Gabriel Medina is yeah. back from yeah. injury and he yeah. won it. Yeah. You know what? I would be, this is so amazing that I'm saying this based on my, uh, you know, my past thoughts on Gabe Medina. And, I, and for the record, if listeners don't know, I've always been anti-Gabe Medina, not because he's not worthy of being a world champ, but because um, it's fun to have rivalries. And I've always rooted for Kelly versus Gabe 
or Gabe was always the dark hat, you know, for me, he was the cowboy that wore the black suit. Uh, he was like the Andy iron sort of for me, you know, I was always a Kelly guy versus when it was the Kelly Andy thing. And so, but I'm here to tell you that I would be ecstatic if Gabe Medina went on like a five year run of world titles. And even though I would be rooting against him, I think it's the best thing for the quote unquote sport at this time. Yeah. And beyond that, he's in form. Like he's kind of shaken the chick thing out of him. He got wrecked for a year and a half by some, by some first love that kind of just probably stepped on his neck. And, and he's, he just seems like it's time to be focused. He's working out. He looks like, oh, this is what Ronaldo does to be the freaking best football player in the world. Like, it just, I just get the sense that Gabe's like, hunker down, boys, because I'm here and I'm not leaving and it's going to be a, a run. And this is the run you've been waiting for. And I'm 28 and I can do it till I'm 33. No problem. I'm assuming he's 28. I'm guessing. You know what I mean? Like, I just get this feeling that it's time for Gabe to just go, like, just smoke the field for five years. I like it. Um, the reason why I like it is it'll draw out the best of the other competitors. And you need somebody who's on that type of a tear to really do that. Yeah. You know, that's why Kelly came back and won a bunch more world titles. Basically, he had gotten bored because uh, he was unquestionably the best. And then the Cooley kids came and they was like, oh, shoot, I want to keep up with those guys. And now he's trying to do the same thing with the Brazilian storm. Um, and so I could I, see I John. If, do you think it was the Cooley kids? I, I would suggest to you that maybe it was Andy. Well, it was Andy. Yeah. And then the Cooley kids uh, or Mick specifically. But I could see that this bringing out the best in John John, you know. I don't know. I think I, I, I hope so. I don't know if that's the guy I could see this bringing out the best in guys we've mentioned already, like Griff or like Kanoa, or like Idolo, um, I think John John's, uh, how do I characterize it? I just don't think he's, I think he's above the fray, so to speak. Well, I think that this brings him back into the fray competitively, mentally. You know, I think you're right. He can exist on a different realm and right. have a long career and do the best surfing in the world. Uh, because certainly the WSL is not going to provide that venue for him, but seeing Gabe go on a run like that could draw John back in to come and spar with him. That's what I think. But yeah. I, and I don't think that Griff and Kanoa are on the same level. No, they're as not those guys, you know, they're not. And I, so there's I, no amount of kind of drawing them in that can help them achieve that level of talent that those guys have. I mean, when I think about who would be challenging Gabe in these five years, um, you know, frankly, Felipe is right there. Idolo would be there. But but I don't see any of them. I see each of them having a year where they kind of nip at his heels. And one year, maybe it's Idolo. One year, maybe it's Felipe. Um, and I'm sure there's some a couple of others that could come up from the bottom and, and have a year and, and nip at Gabe's. But I just think Gabe's going to just stomp on him for five years. And again, frankly, I hope it happens. I think it would be good to have a run of one guy who just friggin' dominates. And I don't know why it wouldn't be Gabe. I think Gabe's like at his peak right now. Like it just feels like, and I don't have any insight into this other than what I see online, but I sense that he's, um, he's just like ready to, 
to own it. And I think, I don't know. What do you, what are your thoughts? Am I off base here? Am I just guessing? No, no. He's got the most well-rounded talent skill set. And each of those kind of prongs are the best in the world. So barrels, airs, tiny waves, power, all of it, he can go toe to toe with the person who's the best in the world at that one thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, I see Idolo is kind of the also the another person who's well-rounded in all of those ways. Um, Except competitively. I, I think he can, he can have a rebound in the way that Gabe's rebounded, you know? Maybe, maybe. I, I but, think emotionally though, Gabe's stronger. I think, and there's there's so many other surfers that I want to put into this conversation. Ethan Ewing, Jack mm-hmm. Robinson, Jordy mm-hmm. Smith, but they don't, Jordy. they haven't, they haven't <laughs> delivered on all of those prongs, on all of those kind of different at- areas of attack. You know, Jack Robinson could could be there. You know, could could be nipping. Um, Not in crappy waves, though. You know, like well, he's kind of he wasn't gonna, he wasn't going to but he wasn't going to go to Sakurama and do what Gabe did. No, 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 that's, you're absolutely right. I mean, not only is Gabe great at every single prong that needs to be, you know, attacked or that, that you need to have in your quiver. He's not only the best at every one of them, he's far and away the best. At, well, maybe not yeah. at backside two running. I mean, Jack's pretty amazing at, you know, the box or a pipe or a back door, but so is Gabe. Exactly. Yeah. Well, um, in that event, some of the qualifications were shored up for the 2023 season. So Leonardo Fioravanti, Real Wida from Indonesia, they were already qualified actually. And Ryan Callanan is back on tour. Um, Ramsey Bukayam, who made the final with Gabe and is a guy that we've seen kind of right about to qualify for probably a decade now. Um, he's yeah, on... Cares. Right, I know he's on the verge. Ian Jones. I like the kid. He's a Moroccan. My point is, all these, all the, I don't, unless you're in the top twelve, I know. Stay on the Challenger Series. I don't care. I know you're a great surfer. I know you can put out a great clip, but until you can beat Gabe, get the hell out of here. Yeah. I only feel like there's, you know, let's just keep it to twelve people. Well, Liam O'Brien and Maxime Husano are likely to make it as well. Again, they fit in the same conversation that you just brought up. On the women's side, Katie Simmers is uh, she's qualified again. She declined her first year of qualification, chose not to join the tour, but she has officially accepted the uh, qualification this time. And Molly Picklum is also qualified. That's exciting. I'm excited for Caitlin Simmers. She yeah, no joke. She's got some special style. Yeah, there is no question. And this uh, stab high event, she is absolutely shredding. Yeah. And not only in the straight air competition, but she got shacked out there too. They showed a, a clip of during the competition where she took off on a wave and just got, it was a fully overhead and a half barrel for her, rode it beautifully. She got clipped on the exit, but uh, I was like, that was a, that was as legit as any barrel, if not better than any barrel I've ever gotten. I would be thrilled to get that thing, you know, and she just like doing it off the cuff and then we- Going out and when, doing airs afterwards. When you think about her, here's the thing that's kind of needs to be uh, brought into almost every discussion about the CT, and that's the Olympics and how the Olympics plays into everything that's going to be happening in the next two years. And I could 
easily see Caitlin Simmers getting a gold medal at Chopu. Totally. She will have, you know, by then a year and a half under her belt on the CT. And she's already surfing out there at Chopu, by the way. Yeah. In a year, could she be the number two American surfer on the tour? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've got Carissa, Courtney, Lakey. Oh, Carolyn Marks. I mean, there's going to be some competition there. The one thing that she lacks is sort of like, you know, she's only 16. Like, it's hard to go up against a 26-year-old Carissa Moore, or however old she is. Who's just got like you know fifteen years of experience? I actually interviewed Carissa Moore at the goal on the Gold Coast, the Quicksilver Pro, when she was fourteen. When she was like two years younger than Caitlin Simmers, they gave her you know Roxy gave her like a uh, you know a free spot in the event or whatever. And uh, I remember interviewing her, and it was just like this is like a little child. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like she's like, "What flavor ice cream can we go get, Papa?" <laughs> right. You know, it's right. like what the hell. And uh, Caitlin Simmers is more mature than that, but I mean, it, it's, it, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot going on, <clears throat> you know, it's hard to be 16 years old on the world tour. Yeah. There's no way to really prepare somebody for the complexities. Either, yeah, of you either pull it off and, and power through it, or you become a part of the machine and you get eaten by it. Well, and it, or it can actually, you could just be oblivious to all of it because she's so young that she can just come in and do her thing and yeah. uh, win, win, or at least place really well in her first year or two before some of her, uh, before she realizes kind of some of the seriousness of it. Yeah. Um, well, the final story that I had for this show uh, was the Netflix trying to buy the WSL as reported by the wall street journal. Did you see this? No, this news just broke yesterday, believe it or not. Wow. Um, I know, kind of crazy. The Wall Street Journal was reporting on Netflix kind of diversifying their business model. And they just referenced the WSL in a very brief statement as part of a larger statement about them getting involved in sports streaming. Yeah. Um, and I'll read to you the quote, but it's kind of funny. Uh, falls in line with a lot of what we've discussed. The article, the Wall Street Journal says that Netflix pursued low-cost ways of diversifying its own catalog with streaming sports. The journal reports that Netflix has considered bidding or has bid on specific sports streaming rights in Europe. They recently bid for the streaming rights of the ATP tennis tour for some European countries, including France and the UK, but they dropped out, blah, blah, blah. What's even more intriguing is the possibility of the subscription video service just outright buying a sports league. That's what Netflix apparently attempted to do with surfing. The company late last year was in talks to buy the World Surf League, but negotiations fell apart because the two organizations couldn't reach an agreement on price. People familiar with a potential deal said that the uh, some Netflix executives, oh, okay, it doesn't really say specifics about the deal. It says some Netflix executives believe that given the size of their platform, Netflix could turn lesser known sports like surfing into big franchises and create new sporting tournaments or events. Wow. Okay. So it's kind of, you know, it's sort of a long shot, but it's like, this is an example of a sport that we could, we could buy and, and, and make popular. 
on and a level do exactly of, what they've been trying, what that sport has been trying to do, or the owners of that sport have been trying to do for decades now. Huh, interesting. So then you read between the tea leaves and you're like, okay, so Dirk Ziff was at a cocktail party with somebody from Netflix in New York city. And they just started riffing and, you know, like that's how this, all this stuff happens is like these people all. Yeah. You know, it's possible. Um, I think what's interesting is they weren't able to agree upon a price. And I mean, we've kind of referenced it here a lot with Eric Logan speaking glowingly about all the growth and pointing at statistics for different sectors and stuff. Yeah. And we're like, gosh, that all feels like a used car salesman or a televangelist yeah. coming up with quote statistics. Well, Netflix isn't going to just, they know what stats actually are more than yeah. anybody. Yeah. They know what is meaningful. And so I have a feeling that the WSL, I mean, I have no idea, but I would just predict based on the way that they've shoveled information towards us. It's like, oh, they're saying these things over here, go ahead and prove it. You know, how can you base the price based on these stats that you came up with? So Netflix said, okay, go ahead and prove it. We can afford that. Go ahead and prove it. And WSL couldn't justify the price based on the real numbers. And Netflix is like, all right, well, we know what those real numbers are worth. Here's what we're willing to pay for it. And the WSL obviously wasn't able to uh, close that gap. But I think that the Netflix is it's an interesting scenario. You and I talk often about how do you actually grow that business to where they want to grow it to? Netflix coming in and just going, hey, we already have the platform. We already have the people paying the money. We have the viewers. We'll take it from you. We And it even says they could do new tournaments and new events. So we can do the tour. We can run specialty events. We're not beholden to any of the bureaucracy that you guys have set up for yourselves. Like, we'll just come in and do it. And we'll just serve it up on, on homepage. So they would just be the distribution outlet for what Eric and the, or they would absolutely own it. And they would own it. So part of their deal in this article was they were looking for streaming rights for specific things. But additionally, they were looking to buy smaller sports that they could level up right. the viewership for the entire organization. And uh, I think it could work. I mean, if they took it over, you know, um, if they owned the thing and redesigned the events in the ways that you and I like it and just put it on their homepage yeah. and fed it to people, you know, yeah. anybody who watched free solo now gets fed this thing. Yeah. Absolutely. People would be thrilled to watch an event at Mulligmore, at Jaws, at Cloudbreak, you know, no question. You know, it's funny. I was, um, I was reading something on Beach Grit recently. JP Curry wrote it. And there's a, there's a paragraph that really stuck out and it was, I'm going to butcher it, but it was more along the lines, mostly along the lines of, of Eric Logan has always wanted to be sort of the savior of professional surfing. And he's doing his damnedest to try to make it happen. He's working hard to be, and he puts himself out there in that sort of vein, right? Like, we're going to make this thing work. I'm going to be. And, and the, the paragraph went on to say something like, you know, sometimes to be the savior of a sport, you have to be willing to let it go. And so the question is, would Elo and Dirk, I guess it's up to Dirk. It's not up to Elo. You know, would they be willing to let it go on another note? 
with uh, in regards to what you were just talking about, there was a a user on Stab, I think, in their com community, and his name was like his username was like you poo goo goo or you goo poo poo or something like that, whatever. But he actually brought up some interesting things. He said, "Look, Eric Logan says that viewership is up across the board." Well, I would want to know how they're defining one view on what platforms, et cetera. I would also like to know how they're calculating attribution, meaning are the numbers up because more people got into surfing during the pandemic or more people have access to the internet in developing countries? Is the WSL distribution that much better or is it really due to the new format? Are you telling me that just because of a mid-season cut and a final five day, you've, your numbers went through the roof? These are all interesting questions that this this member uh, brought up. Well, did you read the article with Brendan Buckley interviewing yeah, Elo? I did. It it's, was just it's it was a complete just, waste of my time. Yeah, it was and, just a and you get to the running. you get to the final question, and Buck says, "Um, you got a lot of backlash about the mid year cut. You know, this past year, will you be doing anything different in 2023? It's a yes or no question. He does not answer the question. He gives a paragraph about a bunch of other things. And it was like, it's infuriating to read. And so the, the funny thing it's is, it is, it is infuriating to read. Right. And the funny thing is, is we're living at a time in surfing where you two poo poo goo goo gives us more salient wisdom than the main, <laughs> than the WSL and the mainstream media reporting on it. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. truly. Yeah. No, I mean, look, you and I have both interviewed Eric and, and, He's the king of going, hey, that's a really good question. But first, let me back up and put it into some context. And then you're in for like 15 minutes of who knows what he's saying. Disorientation. Yeah, just like, oh, remember. The, and then you're like, I forgot the question. And please get me out of this interview. <laughs> I know. And you see it happening to Buck, to Brendan Buckley in that interview from the very yeah. beginning. You see the question, you see the answer, and you see Buckley like getting, you know, uh, charmed by his charisma and you just go oh great this is happening again it's happened to all of us but it's happening again and it's it's complete bs um well I don't so know it's BS. Not, i just think that it is bs that, well eric's just you know he's doing his job not, he's, def well, he's deflecting he's oh, deflecting. okay i thought i thought the job was for that business to make no money. but if somebody asks you a question that 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 you as the CEO don't want to answer or don't have the answers to, or aren't, it isn't appropriate at this time to, to answer that. Instead of saying that he knows how to, you know, maneuver. Well, he's not a politician and you know, that's who kind of does that. Cause I've seen other CEOs. Um, I reference Dana White all the time as kind of the yeah. best comparison for what the WSL should be modeling after. And Dana White, will call the interviewer out for asking a question that he doesn't want to answer or he'll, you know what I mean? Like he just yeah. handles things straight on and you feel like, okay, this guy has a clear vision for his business. He's not taking crap from any interviewer and he's going to see his vision through full stop. Yeah. And if the interviewer doesn't understand it, then that's on the interviewer. But at least this guy knows what he's doing and why he's doing it. I've never once gotten that sense from yeah. the current direction of the WSO. Well, all right. You're, 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 I, Elon I'm Musk just, owns Twitter now. <laughs> I'm just going to say that 
you're a little harsh on Eric, but I do know where you're coming from and you're not alone in that there are, you know, many people that are just sort of hearing the same old kind of company line from Eric. I'm sure Eric's a great guy. I don't, you know, it's not a personal assessment at all. I'm just, uh, want to see cloud break on tour and not the surf ranch. And I want to <laughs> under, and I want to, and if you're going to talk about stats, we can go straight to YouTube and look at the stats for finals day. And I have done, and it's very, very low. His discussion the of the stats is vague. There is yeah. no doubt. And so there if, no if that's what he's going to talk about, then that's what we will respond to. And there's plenty of evidence that we can pull from to question the sincerity of him using those stats. You know what I mean? That's yeah. all it comes down to. And then if you want to talk about profitability, we have stats that we can reference from that too. And then if you want to talk about actual deliverables for what should be entertaining for us, the fans to watch, we can also talk about that. Yeah. You know? Well, it's interesting, right? The, the surf ranch, his, uh, defending of the surf ranch was olympic based right did you see that yeah it's like look g land we'd love to go back it's challenging for a number of reasons blah blah blah. and then he goes on his challenging for a number of reasons rant but he gets back to with the olympic qualifying happening in in uh, el salvador um with the isa it just it would be almost impossible for the athletes who have to be apparently in El Salvador for the ISA World Games to qualify for the Olympics, um, it would be impossible. So it was much simpler for this year to plug in the surf ranch because we know we can pull it off in two days. Right. Not interested. <laughs> Not interested. Nobody's interested. Um, Nobody's less and less interested. interested. Less and less interested every year. Um, I just want to state before we go that um, – I am on the jury for the Florida Surf Film Festival. They're having their event this weekend that if anybody's in the area, they should go. But the reason why I want to state it to you is that it is the best slate of surf films that I've seen any year, full stop. Uh, I'll just give you a rundown of the films. The Birth of the Endless Summer, which is the documentary about Dick Metz. Yeah. Incredible. Richard Yelling. Oh, yeah. Richard did it. Okay, cool. Um, the Yin and Yang of Jerry Lopez done by Stacy Peralta. Oh, that's probably good. Uh, it's incredible. I've seen it. Um, uh, Sweet Adventure that I talked about last week with P made by Peter Hamblin. So those are three. Phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Those um, are all like next level. Super legit. Wait, wait for it. Hail Mary by Ben Gulliver, which is the profile film on Ballroom Stack. It's amazing. Island X, uh, which is Ben Wyland's uh, kind of North Atlantic trip with mark mcginnis very good through the doggy door which i talked about a couple of weeks ago about um the kid from the west side of oahu yeah uh mason hose buddy also awesome facing monsters with kirby brown is the film of the year that's insane really? so that's yeah and then natural high which is a jack coleman film jack coleman's you know made a bunch of Jack. incredible films in the last yeah. few years this is right there with him he's a so san diego just like, guy isn't he he's um, he's from encinitas jack Crazy. i don't know where he's from originally he was living in newport when i was he plays a lot of golf him. no you're thinking of somebody else uh, okay. um but he films with birch all the time and yeah that whole scene a lot of innovative or uh, alternative boards yeah i know jack and I know. board builders yeah. um 
but that's the slate of films that are at this one event this weekend. And Sounds again, these killer. are in Where one of it? these films. It's in New Smyrna Beach, Florida. So if you're in that area, go for sure. Um, they always sell out, but they might have tickets still available. As a judge, it sounds like you've already made your decision. I heard you say one of those. From Facing Monsters is the film of the year, you said. I mean, it really is. It's spectacular. And by the way, I'm a huge fan of each of these other films, you know, and I have personal investment. Wait a minute, in you're starting to sound films. like Eric Logan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just Easy saying, pal, like, I just... hyped... I hyped Sweet Adventure to you two year, two weeks yeah. ago because it is that good. Yeah. But Facing Monsters is just insane. And I hyped yeah. through the doggy door. I talked about it for 15 minutes probably when yeah. I watched it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're that good. Any yeah. one of these films would have won in a previous year. But um, yeah, Facing Monsters is crazy. So Radical. Yeah. Let me epic, ask you this. Epic. Is there going to be a situation where, where Chaz and Ashton, like, you know, there's like an Academy Awards type slap down? Um, it would, I don't think either of them are going, so no, but no. they right. they do need to, yeah, they could revisit that conversation now. <laughs> Enough time has passed. Oh, Lordy. All right, well, look, it sounds like a fun time. Now, you mentioned it's in Florida somewhere. Where is it? New Smyrna. Okay, New Smyrna. Kill it. God, if you, you might get some waves. There's a crazy-ass hurricane off the coast of Florida right now. Yeah, I'm not going. Oh, um, you're not going. I'm just on the jury, so I uh, review, I review I and rate. I got you. Okay. Well, good. Look, we've said a lot. Um, until next time, David. Adios and aloha. We passed upon the stairs. Spoken walls and Yeah.